Good to see a good crowd back here on Sunday night. Last week I spoke on parenting. I hope that was a, a blessing, a help to many of you, parents and grandparents. Um, I got back in my office and began to think and pray about what God would have me to preach. Let me just say, before we read the passage tonight, I don't take this responsibility lightly. This is very, very, very important and serious to me. And I really wrestled with the Lord this week what to preach. I wanted to, I didn't want to just preach a reactionary sermon. I saw that the church responded well preaching on the home and the family. And my natural desire would be to preach a series on the family and the home. But I didn't want to do that if God didn't want me to do that. However, if God did want me to do that, I wanted to do it. And so the, the struggle in my spirit began as I began to bask this, uh, this in prayer. And I have found in my own life and my own heart that if I will preach on areas of need in my own life, then they're the greatest help to others because they're passionate to me. And so I felt led over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, the truth is parenting... And every relationship of life, whether that's husband to his wife, wife to her husband, uh, child to parent, parent to child, they all have to do the same thing. And that's, how do you love the other person? How do you show love to someone else? And I feel like, as a church, if we can learn to love the way that God wants us to love, we can set Stratford on fire for the Lord. Let's take our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 and stand. And let's look at the first eight verses here. We're going to be spending quite a bit of time in this passage over the next few weeks. The Bible says there, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I'd like to begin a series this evening that will last at least over the next four weeks. The name of the series is this, Learning to Love Like the Lord. Learning to Love Like the Lord. Tonight's title of the sermon is Love's Endurance. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would feel very welcomed and wanted here. Lord, if we gather here and you're not here, then it's a waste of time. If we gather here and because of sin in my heart or the heart of maybe someone here... Uh, and you don't feel welcomed, it's a waste of time. So, Lord, we want our hearts to be pure and clean before you. 
Lord, we want your spirit to move in our midst. We want hearts to be touched, not by my words, but Lord, by your words and the explanation of your words. And so, God, I pray tonight that you would help us to examine how we love in our relationships. And Lord, may we see a drastic improvement in the days and weeks to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Look down with me in 1 Corinthians 13 there if you have your Bible. Look down with me at verse 13. This is a verse, if you've gone to church any amount of time, you've heard, I'm sure. But just for the sake of the sermon and by introduction, let's look at that verse. It says there, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. What a bold statement. Faith. How important is faith? Hebrews tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. You cannot please God without faith. But even more important than faith is charity. How about hope? The hope of eternal life that we have in Christ. As important as that hope that lieth in you is, charity, the Bible says there, is greater than hope and greater than faith. Why does God put such a strong emphasis on the importance of charity or biblical love? As we study Scripture, we find that love is the driving force behind every relationship. Pastor, is this a sermon on parenting? The answer is yes. Pastor, is this a sermon on marriage? The answer is yes. Is this a sermon on Christian behavior toward my neighbor? The answer is yes. Is this sermon tonight about how Jesus loves me? Yes, it is. Tonight is the sermon about how I'm supposed to treat my brother and sister in the Lord. Yes. Is the sermon tonight about how I'm to treat those who I would label as my enemies? The answer is yes. You see, because... The love, love is the driving force behind all healthy relationships. Furthermore, when relationships struggle, it is due to a breakdown of biblical, Christ-honoring love. You show me any relationship that's breaking down and falling apart, and I will show you where there is a void or a lack of true godly love. Now, if you're like me... You've read 1 Corinthians 13 before and you have become overwhelmed by all of the information of the description of love there in 1 Corinthians 13. Has anybody else ever been there where you're reading that chapter and your brain almost reaches overload with the description of what love is? If you're here and you're like like me with that, would you raise your hand? There's a lot of information there, isn't there? And uh, I just want to say that over the next several weeks, we're going to take every single attribute that's given to love and we're going to give it some time and we're going to give it some study. You see, uh, uh, God tells us how it is that we are to love. In Ephesians 5.22, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Parental love. Uh, Proverbs 13.24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him... Loveth the child, loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. Uh, the Bible gives us a description of the Savior's love to His creation. In 1 John 3.16 it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He hath laid down His life for us. It tells us how Christians are to love their Savior. Matthew 22.37 says, Jesus saith or said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. The Bible tells us how Christians are to love their neighbors. In that same passage, just two verses later, it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 7 how that a Christian is to love a fellow Christian. A redeemed is supposed to, how they're supposed to love the redeemed. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, and even our enemies. Matthew 5, 44 says, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Could it be that you struggle with your relationships in life because your version of love is not the same definitions as God's? Could it be that if you would open your heart as we study how to love like the Lord, that your relationships would begin to see drastic improvement? This evening I propose that many of the redeemed in Christ have allowed a secular, selfish version of love to taint and spoil how they love uh, uh, God. I believe tonight I propose that if, if we would learn to love the way God has taught us to love in Scripture, that we would begin seeing immediate improvements in our relationships and would begin uh, showing the world that true Christianity, what true Christianity is really all about. I've broken down the uh, attributes there of, of charity or love in 1 Corinthians 13 into four categories. And these are the four uh, uh, titles of my next four sermons. I have there uh, the one we're looking at tonight, Love's Endurance. Next week we'll look at Love's Etiquette. Uh, uh, in a few weeks we'll look at Love's Elevation. And then the fourth week we'll look at Love's Expectation. The next several minutes I'd like to focus on the attributes here in the charity chapter that deal directly with Love's Endurance. How to have an enduring love. So tonight, let's look at just a few thoughts, four thoughts that teach us how to have a love that endures the hardship that sin throws at it. If you're taking notes tonight, first let's notice there, love's pain. Love's pain. Look with me at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. There, notice it says, charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long. Take your Bibles with me. Hold your place there in 1 Corinthians 13. Rush over to Hosea chapter 1 there in the Minor Prophets. Hosea chapter 1. And as we begin to think about someone who suffered pain as they loved, to me, one of the biggest names that comes to mind, one of the biggest characters that comes to mind is the prophet Hosea. Hosea was commanded by God to do something that God would not normally command a person to do. Hosea was commanded to go and marry a woman of the whoredoms, a woman who was a, a, an adulteress, a woman who uh, lived a loose lifestyle. And God was going to use this marriage as a visual example to the nation of Israel. Look with me at verse 2 of, he, of Hosea 1 there. It says there, the beginning of the word uh, of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. And children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the, da- the daughter of which conceived and bare him a son. I got tongue tied there. Notice uh, that right there in verse three it says, "Bear him a son." So uh, Hosea goes and he marries Gomer. Gomer, not being a good gal, probably picked her up on a street corner as she was soliciting her services picked her up and, and, and got her to marry him. And there, as uh, they, they marry, uh, shortly thereafter, God gives the two of them a son. It says there that she conceived and bare him, Hosea, a son. However, in verse 6, we find that Gomer had played the harlot. And through her adultery, bare another child. Look at verse 6. It says there, and she conceived again 
In, in, in verse 3, it said that she bare him his son. And notice here it says, and bear a daughter. Bear a daughter. And notice what God said. And God said unto him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will uh, no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Look down at verses 8 and 9. We see the same pattern. It says in verse 8, uh, Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Did not bear him a son, but rather bear a son. And if there's any question about whether or not this was Hosea's son, look at verse 9. Then said God, call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. So uh, we see that she's running around on Hosea. Can you imagine the pain that caused? You say, well, how do we know that Hosea felt pain? Well, we don't have time to do it tonight, but on your own, read the second chapter of Hosea and you'll see his venting to his children how frustrated he was with his wife's inability to be faithful. You'll see there his heartbreak as uh, his wife left the house to go live with other men and to go, uh, and, and to go live a lascivious lifestyle. You see the heartache and the pain that that brought. Sometimes when we love people, they hurt us. Sometimes when we open our hearts to someone, they take full advantage of us. And that causes us to not want to open our hearts up anymore, doesn't it? Look with me at chapter 3 of Hosea. Look at verse 1. Hosea, no doubt, was hurting. Probably wasn't totally shocked. Because he knew the character of the girl that he married. But after she had heard him and left him, look what God commanded of Hosea to do. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, be loved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord, toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her, Gomer, bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Gomer running around on Hosea, uh, living a lascivious lifestyle, loving other men, living in their houses, uh, bearing children to other men. And what did uh, that cause? Uh, what, what were the consequences of her sin? Well, before she knew it, she was enslaved to these men and became no value to these men. So these men took her and stripped her naked and put her on a slave block. And there she stood as a slave. There she stood. Now, if it had been me, and I was in Hosea's shoes, and my wife had run around on me, and had taken advantage of me, and, and I had wanted to love her with a selfish love, I would have wanted to have nothing to do with her anymore. But Hosea shows up, and he reaches in his pocket, and he buys his wife back. He buys her back. My friends, an enduring love, an enduring love oftentimes is a painful love. Charity suffereth. Charity suffereth long. Tonight, if you've been hurt by someone that God has commanded you to love, can I encourage you to open your heart again and love them? Say, but pastor, I don't want to do that. I feel like they're going to take advantage of me again. They might. They might. I'm so God that God I'm so glad that God does not cut 
ties with me every time I run to the world and sin. And says, I don't want you to hurt me again, Richard. I don't want you to, 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 to run to the world. I don't want you to have that friendship with the world that James 4 labels as adultery. And so, Richard, I'm not going to love you anymore. No, that's not the nature of God. God opens up His heart and He says, I know. I know everything. I know you're going to hurt me again. And it's going to be painful. But love is enduring. And so there is a pain that comes with love. Let me be clear here is that if you have gone through a divorce and your spouse is long gone and wants nothing to do with you, that's, that's not the application I'm looking to make. Some of you here may have an estranged child. Some of you here might have an estranged sibling. Some of you here may have a brother or sister in Christ who stabbed you in the back. Do you I'm saying that yes, yes, love hurts. Love suffereth. Love suffereth long. But God says that we're to love. And God says there that we're to bear that in our soul and keep on loving them. So we see their love's pain. Number two, let's look at love's patience. Talking about an enduring love. Love's patience. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verse 5. And again, we'll read over some of these attributes, but I, I assure you that in some point over the next four weeks, we'll look at each one. And so if there's one you really, really like, I assure you we'll get to it. But verse 5 says, that they're talking about charity, "...doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own." Notice this next phrase, "...is not easily provoked." "...is not easily provoked." Uh, I remember uh, once, after, shortly after I was married, before Angel and I get, uh, had kids, we were walking through a grocery store, and this mother had, I don't know what it was, Angela, five or six kids with her. And uh, you know, dad may have been at work, I don't know. I don't know what the home situation was like. But I was amazed at how patient this mom was. Some of the boys were fighting with each other in the aisle, just being boys, not being, you know, not fighting angry, but just wrestling around in the aisle. And, and you know how it is with kids. If you have kids, you take them to the grocery store. They're, 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 trying, they're little lawyers, right? They want this kind of cereal. And they want this in the cart. And, and they're giving you all the reasons why you ought to buy this and that. And then you've got the younger ones where they're at that age group where it's, Mom, why this? And Mom, why that? And Mom, why this? And Mom, why that? And I'm watching this mom with all these kids and, and we're kind of following her up and down the, the grocery aisles. You know that awkwardness where it's like, do I say something to them? Do I not? Do I say something to them? Do I not? Because you know you're following through the whole grocery store because you're shopping right behind them. And, and uh, she, she, I was just amazed at how patient she was. When her children were out of line, she would firmly correct them, but in a patient tone. Every single time a child asked her why, no matter how silly the question seemed to be, she attempted to answer it. For the children who were trying to lawyer items into the grocery cart, she just kindly told them no and to put it back. She never lost her cool. She never lost her cool. Um, people are easy to love when they're behaving, aren't they? People are easy to love when they behave exactly the way that you expect them to. However, when someone who you love isn't holding to your standard of expectation, are you patient with them? Are you quick to blow your lid and let them have it? Are you quick to tell them where they're wrong? Are you quick to tell them how they need to change their behavior? 
And then you withdraw that love. You withdraw that love until they change their behavior. Hold your place there in 1 Corinthians 13. Go over to Matthew chapter 18. I hope us using the Bible a lot doesn't annoy anybody here. This is God's book. And every chance we get to read it, every chance we get to study it, boy, we ought to be all over it. And I, I, I hope my style of preaching doesn't bother anybody, but I believe in using a lot of Bible. Amen? Amen. This is God's Word. This is precious. This is important. We ought to soak every bit of it up. Matthew chapter 18. By the way, if you're new to church and you're learning your way around the Bible, keep coming to White Oak Baptist Church. We'll help you get your, find your way around the Bible pretty quickly. Matthew chapter 18. Look with me at verse 21. There it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. This is a familiar passage. But let's put it in mind of charity not being easily provoked. Peter is looking for that limit. Lord, where is the line where someone can wrong me and I can cut my love off and I no longer have to be Christ-like with them or I never have to be kind or loving toward them? If someone offends me seven times, is that the line? God says, no, Peter, it's not the line. Take seven and multiply it by 70. And that's in a day. It'd be pretty hard to offend somebody 490 times in a day. Peter steps back and goes, what? What? How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to forgive? How am I supposed to continue to love someone? How am I supposed to have a love that's patient uh, enough with someone to offend me that many times and, not be, and, and, and still be okay with it and still be able to forgive? Jesus then follows up with a great story. He says that a, a rich ruler brought in a, 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 some, a man who owed him a, a lot of money. More money than the man was going to be able to pay. And he called the dead in on the man. And the man threw himself down in front of him and said, Please, uh, for, give me more time and I'll try to pay the debt. And, the, and the, the ruler there felt mercy in his heart toward the man. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to completely forgive you the debt. You're off the hook. It's all good. I don't know the amount exactly. I've, I've heard of the amount given before and... There might be those here that do know it, but let's just say it was $20 million. I believe it was even more than that in Scripture, but say $20 million. man was never going to come up with $20 million. On the way home, he comes across a man who owes him a couple hundred dollars. Grabs him up by the shirt. Where's my money? You owe me, buddy! Pay up right now or you're going to go to jail and, and you're going to pay me back! And the guy gives the same plea that he had just given a few minutes before. Give me some time and I'll come up with the money! He drags the man to debtor's prison. He throws him in that prison until the man has worked to earn that money to pay him back. The guards of that prison knew what had just happened earlier with the man, the man who had been forgiven of the large debt. They go to the king and they say, Hey, king, you won't believe what happened. Now, the rest of the story is the man's turned over to the tormentors. Him and his family are turned over to the tormentors because they couldn't forgive. And I'll preach out of that passage another time and make some applications from that that I think are strong about forgiving me. Let me just say this, is that you can be patient towards someone who is not living up to your expectation because you have been forgiven of your eternal debt. And because of that, you can look at someone who's not living up to what, the way you expect them to, and you can be patient with them. 
You don't have to be easily provoked. I heard a pastor say something one time that, boy, just, just really gripped me. He said, in my marriage, I quit trying to fix my wife. I stopped. I quit pointing out every time that she did something I didn't like because I found that when I did it, it became counterproductive. It became counterproductive. Now, I, I'm not going to give you that advice for your children, but with your spouse, can I tell you that's really good advice? Hey, if you don't like what they're doing, tell the Lord about it in prayer. Because He can change them, but you can't. You can't change them. Only God can change them. And if there's a moment of honesty where they open up and ask, am I doing something that bothers you or that you don't like, then tell them in a kind and humble and sweet spirit. But we see that love loves pain, number one. Number two, we're looking at love's patience. Number three, look with me at, at love's perseverance. Look back at 1 Corinthians 13 and let's look at another attribute about an enduring love tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. Notice there it says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. That last one, endureth all things. It perseveres. Back in Matthew chapter 15. Take your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 15, just a couple pages over from where we were. We find an example of a persevering love. A love that just would not stop until that love had accomplished what it needed to accomplish. A love that endured through uh, a several stop signs, several no's. Verse 21 of Matthew 15, uh, we find this story, the Bible says there, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto Him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Thou Son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him. This is the third attempt. Saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Ooh. Christ hurls an insult at her. Verse 27. And she saith, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Who was it that this lady loved so much that her love was willing to persevere? It was her daughter. Let me say maybe the purest natural love, the purest 1 Corinthians 13 love that you can find from a human standpoint would be that of a matriarchal love. A mom has a way of loving her children in some of the purest form that you'll ever see. This woman from Canaan, uh, other parts of the Bible tell us that she was a, of, of, the, of the land of, of uh, Syrophoenicia. She's called the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, she was willing to do whatever it took to see her daughter healed of this demonic possession. I've heard this story many times in my life, but in studying for this sermon, it dawned on me this week, how do you think her daughter became demon-possessed? Possibly from a heart of rebellion? Do you think there were times as a parent that she became frustrated with her daughter and the way that she was behaving? Do you think that there were times where she wanted to throw up her hands and quit 
and say, I'm done loving you. You have turned yourself over to where now Satan can possess you. I've seen parents go to court and get divorced from their children. Disown their children. Say, I'm not going to talk to my children. I don't have anything to do with that child. I've seen people walk away and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. I've seen, uh, I've seen uh, people who were supposed to, uh, I've seen brothers and sisters in church who were supposed to love each other and then a business deal goes south and we soon find that they love their money more than they love their brother and sister in Christ. I'm talking about a love that perseveres. This lady was willing to do whatever it took. You see, she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. But she knew there was a Jewish Savior who could heal her daughter. And she comes to the Savior. And she says, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus flat out ignores her. So then the lady goes to His disciples and perseveres with the disciples. The disciples come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, she won't leave us alone. She just keeps on and, and she won't be quiet. Can you tell her to go away? And I see this lady following the disciples as they're going to Jesus. And the lady saying, uh, will you please heal my daughter? And how does Jesus reply? He says, uh, it is not my place to throw the bread for the children to the dogs. You are a Gentile dog. And I am not going to help you. And then the lady humbles her heart even further. And she begs. She says, this is true, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat from the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Give me something, God. Give me something. Heal my daughter. Take this demon away from her. Jesus looked down with his heart of compassion and he saw her faith. In that same hour, that, that devil left that child. Why? Because there was a mother who loved her daughter. There was, a do- there was a mother who had an enduring love. There was a mother who would not quit with that love. My friends, let me ask you tonight. Do you have a love that perseveres? Do you have a love that's willing to take the pain from someone else mistreating you? Do you have a love that's willing to be patient? Do you have a love that is not easily provoked? Do you have a love that endureth? Do you have a love that's willing to throw yourself before the throne room of God on a regular basis and beg on someone else's behalf? In our secular, selfish version of love, it's quick to give up on someone. It's easy to want to quit on someone and walk away. But a Christ-like love, a pure love, a 1 Corinthians 13 love endures. And so we saw, number one, love's pain. Number two, we saw love's patience. Number three, we saw love's perseverance. Number four, and lastly, let's look at love's predictability. Love's predictability. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're done in Matthew. Back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, we find these words, Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. It's predictable. It's there. It doesn't go away. 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. Then it says this, For God is love. Charity never faileth. God is love. Could it be that charity never fails? Because charity is God. 
And God never fails. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, you know the verse, the same yesterday, today, forever. Listen, Jesus Christ was love before the world was ever created. He's love during the creation of the earth. He's love once, uh, once this earth is gone and the new heaven and new earth are established. Jesus Christ was love before you were born. Jesus Christ is love while you're born. Jesus Christ will be love after you're gone. Jesus Christ is love when people mistreat you. He's love uh, during that hurt. And He's love after the reconciliation takes place, if it ever takes place. He never stops being love. And He wants us to look at Him and copy that example of love. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23 says this, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Watch this. Great is thy faithfulness. We have a God who perseveres. A love that perseveres. A love that can pierce through the hardest of hearts. And love the person with the coldest heart. I remember as a a college boy, and I hadn't planned on telling the story, but I feel that it's very appropriate to tell here. I remember as a college boy, we had a, a girl on our, um, in our chapel area. I worked in the chapels. It was uh, the, uh, the African-American side of Chicago, um, over, over off of 115th Street, if you know where that is in Chicago, 115th and Michigan, over that area. We had a little girl named Ina. Ina was 14 years old, and I went to visit Ina in the hospital because Ina had just had a baby at 14. I don't know the circumstances behind why Ina had become pregnant, but after Ina became pregnant and had that baby, Ina was faithful coming to church, actually gotten saved just a few weeks before the baby was born, had gotten baptized there at church uh, as a pregnant young gal, and then had the baby, and it had been a few weeks since the baby was born. She had not yet been to church, so my visitation partner and I made our way over to Ina's house. We're sitting in Ina's living room and we're talking to Ina about uh, just about her faithfulness to church and her need to get back and, and get her child in church and all of that. And Ina's sister walked through the room. Ina's sister had purple hair. She had like four earrings in her nose. She had them up in her ear. Uh, she had tattoos all over her arm. She was a rough looking customer. Ina's sister came in and I was very polite to her, said hello and on into the kitchen she went. And I noticed that Ina's countenance changed. I looked at Ina and I said, are you everything okay? She said, you need to pray for my sister. She, she's really, really trying to find her way in life. And then she said this, she said, Ina has decided that she no longer likes boys, but rather she likes girls. Ina's sister came back in the room a few minutes later and she sat down there on the couch. And I began to, I don't remember, the, I wish I remembered the, the young gal's name, but uh, I began to talk to her. I began to inquire about her her eternal soul. She told me she didn't know she was going to heaven. I walked this sweet young gal right down the Romans road. When I got done with explaining the gospel, there were tears running down her cheeks. And I looked at her and I asked her a question that I ask everyone when I'm done witnessing to them. I looked at her right in the eye, at her full attention, and I said, I called her name, I said, if God is willing to accept you, Exactly like you are as a sinner. Would you like to receive Him and let Him come in your life and be a Savior? I've asked that question to hundreds of people. I've gotten many different responses, but none sweeter than this girl's. She looked at me and she said, If a God like the one you just described 
is willing to accept me and love me, how in the world could I say no to that? Me and my partner were sitting on one couch. We got down on our knees in there in that living room. Ina got down with her sister at the other couch. Ina put her arm around her sister and that young gal sweetly accepted Christ in her heart. You say that I don't understand how someone could choose that lifestyle. Let me just say this, is that God still loves them. And there's a love that perseveres. There's a love that never stops. I'm so thankful that as a pastor, I have a God who I can represent in this pulpit who is so predictable. I'm so thankful that I have a God who is a love that is so enduring. Why was it that God did not send Adam and Eve straight to hellfire after their fall? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ volunteered to leave the beauty of heaven and be born to lowly peasants in a feeding trough? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ chose to walk with commoners and be named amongst the publicans and the sinners and the lowlife and the scum of society? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ was arrested? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ allowed His beard to be torn from His face? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ allowed hate-filled, jealous men to punch Him and to spit on Him and to curse Him and to falsely accuse Him? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ allowed Himself to be scourged and whipped? Because His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ allowed a crown of thorns to be mashed up against His skull? Why is it that He allowed nails to be driven into His hands and His feet? Because His love, His love is an enduring love. Why is it that Christ allowed His heavenly Father to take every sin committed by all of mankind and have it placed on Himself? Why is it that Christ allowed Himself to become your sin and to become my sin? Because His love is an enduring love. I don't know who it is that you're having a hard time loving right now, but when we look at Calvary and we see just how enduring Christ's love is for you and me, my friends, it ought to breathe a breath, a new desire into our soul to go and follow His example. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this evening. Who is